Hello, everyone. Welcome to the North Church Podcast. We are so excited you're here. At North Church, our vision is to love God, love people, and follow Jesus. We'll be here every week with a new encouraging message to help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Rodney Fouts with this week's message. Welcome, everyone. Well, we're going to be starting that new series next week uh, from the book of Habakkuk, uh, Silent God. If you've ever wondered, like, hey, where is God in all of this? It is a, an incredible book to look at. We're going to start that next week. But we're going to wrap up this series now today, this week, that we've been going over. And it is called Dreamer, The Life of Joseph. How many of you have been encouraged, challenged, blessed by the series? All right. I am so glad. And I'm telling you, just a shout out real quick. It is so good to have Freedom House ladies in the house. Come on. Yeah. I'm telling you. They raise the energy level around here. Let's learn, okay? All right, because I love it, all right? And, um, hey, I just, just today is, I've been really noticing um, in Oklahoma City, and I'm sure it's the same way in Guthrie and Deer Creek, that there are some very bold, faith-filled people that are in the house today. Because this is Super Bowl weekend. And you have to be very bold and very faith-filled to wear your Dallas Cowboy outfits today. I'm just saying. And and some of those wearing the Dallas Cowboy stuff today are millennials who never were alive when the Cowboys won a Super Bowl. I'm just saying, I'm not picking teams, I'm just pointing out facts. Go Patriots. <laughs> Would you stand with me for the reading of the word at all locations? Genesis chapter number 50. How many like to have fun in God's house? I realize I'm riding my wave now because it will change at some point. At some point, Tom Brady will die. <laughs> and other teams can win again. But for now, may he live Till he's 70 and keep playing football. <laughs> uh, this story is the story of the life of Joseph. An amazing story. It really, really is. It's awe-inspiring. Of a young man as a teenager who was favored by his father, which was not a good situation for him. It led to problems. He got the coat of many what? Colors. Colors that intensified issues. It drove the wedge deeper. Uh, His brothers hated him. They devised a plan to kill him. At the last minute, decided not to kill him, throwing him in a pit. Uh, Some traders come by. They sell him, make some money off him, create a life for his father. He died by a wild beast killing him. Uh, Then he goes off as a slave. He starts at the bottom rung of the ladder, rises at the top of the ladder. Uh, He's doing good uh, in Potiphar's house. Then he's lied about, wrongly convicted, of rape, which he did not. He actually ran from the situation. He's thrown into prison again. Uh, But even again, he's shackled by change, but he begins to rise to the top. He becomes the leader of the prison. Uh, Then he helps somebody out by interpreting the dream. They get out of prison. He says, remember me, but they what? Forget about him for another two years. Then Pharaoh has a dream. 
Uh, and then he's wanting somebody to interpret it. Nobody can. The cupbearer who was the one interpreted, who Joseph interpreted the dream for, says, hey, I know of a man. They call him from prison. He goes up. He says, you can interpret dreams. He says, I can't, but God can. He interprets the dreams. And not only that, develops a plan of action for the seven years of harvesting and the seven years of famine. And the jo- Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man on the known planet at that time, says, I want you to be my right-hand guy. You're going to run all of this. You're going to be the prince. So he leaves prison to become the prince of Egypt. Only God can do that. There's situations in your life. Only God. Only God. And he can. And he will. But in the journey till that happens, because everybody loves the story of Joseph, but nobody wants to be in the 15 years of Joseph's life. Uh, right? Everybody loves a miracle, but no one wants to be in need of a miracle. I mean, those are 15 of the most grueling, hard, testing times you can imagine. Nobody wants to be there. Let me just say something to all of us. So it's not just we want God to show up right now on our timetable, do what God wants to do. Do it now, God, the way I want, or I'm going to be mad at you, God. That's not how it works. Faith and trust is saying, God, I give it all to you. Knowing that at some point, sometimes, suddenly, God turns it around. Mmm, love it. We're going to go to the very end of the chapter of the book of Genesis, chapter number 50. I'll start with verse number 15. This is a story. Joseph's story is of, of abuse, family abuse. Of, it's of human trafficking. It's of sexual temptation, judicial corruption, devastating famine, but also supernatural intervention. Isn't that good to know? Verse 15, the very end, skipped a lot of chapters. But now that their father was dead... Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. They said, stop there for just a moment. When you let fear begin to take its root in your life, you'll begin to think thoughts that are not true, not right, unhealthy. Right? And then you'll begin to react in ways that's taking it into your hands instead of God's hands. And that's what they do here. Notice this. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin and treating you so cruelly, which is not the case. He didn't say that. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. When Joseph received the message, read this with me. He broke down and wept. Let's read it aloud again, please. Would you, those, those words. He broke down and wept. One more time. He broke down and wept. This is significant to the story and the message today. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. You know, when guilt begins to take over and you begin to make your decision, you know what they're trying to do here? They're trying to win his favor through saying, I'll be your slave. I'll earn my right back into right standings with you. Come on, what Joseph gave here is a top of Christ where he's trying to teach them this is not about earning your favor. I gave it to you a long time ago when I forgave you of what you did to me. And you don't, see, at Christ, you don't earn your way into his presence. He has already provided that through his work on the cross of Calvary. You receive that gift. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. I pray that today, God, you break us of our pride, 
for selfishness, unforgiveness, the guilt, all those things in our life set us free so that we understand what it means to really be broken before you so that we can weep in your presence. And yes, there's pain for a while and weeping, but joy comes in the morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said a big amen. amen. You may be seated. This past week I was considering the, um, the cold snap that's hit most of the United States. Fortunately, uh, we avoided it, which was great. But um, a little farther northern plains of the U.S., record-breaking temperatures. Um, but I was thinking back in regards to, in the early 80s, some couple of winters that was extremely cold. One specifically where it was some eight weeks of snow on the ground with temperatures well below zero all during that time. Um, things froze over. Matter of fact, ponds froze over. Uh, on the farm we lived in, we had a, a river, the Arkansas River, that backed up and created a small creek, which we called a slough. I don't know if that's even a word, but that's what we called it. And we would, we would actually ice skate on that. We had uh, hockey games. Now, we didn't have ice skating boots and, you know, that type of, uh, with blades and stuff. We had cowboy boots on, uh, playing ho- hockey on the frozen ice. That, that was what we did for fun. But there was also a, a negative side to the cold temperatures because it meant that our cattle, our horses, our pigs, all during that time, we had, we had to continually break ice. We had to continually go out to the ponds and take a pick a large pick, and we would break the ice, and we would work across it to work around the pond. And it's not just one part. You had to work all the way around to free up because it was even more important for the cattle to get a lot of liquid water in the winter when it was extremely cold, even more so than in the summer. Uh, They actually expended more energy, and they needed that to survive. And if you did not take a pick out there, and I got this pick here, and the pick that we used was not like this. It was like a large pick with an ax with a big head to it, and we would use. But this gives you an example of what we would have to do. You would work it, and it was hard work to break the ice. And it had to be done in the evening, and it had to be done in the morning. I specifically hated the mornings. Uh, before daybreak, out there, extremely cold, you just left a warm, nice bed. And the first thing you're doing is walking straight out in the cold after trying to bundle up and going out there and spending for the next 45 minutes or so going and breaking ice, breaking ice, and sweating and working hard. But it had to be done. Why did it have to be done? For the saving of lives, of cattle, of horses. Because without that, they would die. Let me just say something about your dreams that God has given you. If you don't break ice on a regular basis off of your heart, your dreams will die. Because there is, life happens, situations happen, and our hearts can become hardened to people, to situations, pain, wondering where is God in this. And if we're not careful, our hearts will begin to ice over. And you've got to be very intentional about breaking the ice in your life. I'm going to break this message down into two parts. One, breaking the ice. And I'm going to give you a key thing. It's so important to break the ice off of your heart. But number two is I'm going to talk about the second part of this message is how to keep the ice from forming over your heart in the first place. So in this story, it says that Joseph broke down and he wept. What is going on here? Why is he weeping? This is the very end, okay? His dad has died. There's been years 
of men, they've restored their relationship. But what's going on is he is weeping because us, he saw the us forming over his brother's hearts. And that was something that he had been very intentional about trying to break. When he revealed himself to them, he shared with them that it was okay. That they were in right standing, that everything is okay. But they could not accept that and they allowed their hearts to become hardened. Let me just say something about tears. Tears can be a sign of great strength. We notice it sometimes of great weakness, but the truth of the matter is it can be of incredible strength. And throughout the story of Joseph, this dude cries a lot. You go back and look from chapter 42, 43, 44, 45, and then back to 50. He spends a lot of time crying. But his crying represented strength, not weakness. Matter of fact, you go back to chapter number 42 when he first meets his brothers. Again, after some 13 to 15 years of being separated, probably 15 years of being separated. And after what they had done to him, they come to Egypt to buy food because they're starving back in Canaan. And so when they walk before the prince to ask for food, he immediately recognizes them. Chapter 42, verse 8. Instantly, he recognized them. Now, last week we talked about his firstborn son being Manasseh. Manasseh's name meant what? God has caused me to forget my troubles and all of my what? My brothers and my family and what they've done to me. But we learned last week that that word to forget doesn't mean actually it was erased from their mind. It actually more better interpreted they forgave. Forgave. Because you do not forget the face of an abuser. You do not forget the face of somebody who lied about you, who walked out on you, who hurt you, who said those things about you. You do not forget their face. You cannot forget that face, but you can forgive. And what he did is he forgave. And by him forgiven, he was no longer tethered to them so that when he did see them, he did not have revenge in his heart. He had nothing but love on his heart. Okay, so when he meets them, he listens to them, he initially treats them harshly. Now, this is really interesting because in chapter 42, 43, and 44, he's actually like, it seems like he's mean at them, but he's not. He's not. He's a powerful, he can do what he wants to them. He could immediately have them beheaded and to be done with, but he doesn't. He plays a seemingly game, but you know what he's doing? He's testing their hearts. So after he talks to them a little bit and kind of treats them a little harshly and says strong, he walks out of the room and he goes into a alone room and the Bible says he weeps. He gathers himself and then he comes back out again to talk to them again. And he begins a process of testing them. You know what God wants to do? When you go through difficulties in your life, if you will start looking at that as God's testing ground for making you stronger, Hello? That's the way you need to look at the struggles and the trials of life. And even when you are in the wrong and you did wrong like they did, you know what God wants to do with you? He wants you to feel your consequences of your sin. No, no you understand this? Any, you say, oh, why would God want us to do that? I thought he just forgives us and, you know, he brings us in, makes us feel the good fuzzies. No, he wants you to feel the consequences of your sin. Any good parent understands and the small ability to be able to understand, you know, human behavior, that when a child does something wrong, you want them to feel the consequences of their sin. That's why you give them time out. That's why you maybe take something from them. That's why you may discipline them in some way. You want them to feel that consequence. And so he is laying out the consequences for what they did. Now, they don't know who he is yet, but they're feeling this. as They're talking about, oh, we did, it was our brother. We should not have treated him that way. They're feeling all that. But second thing is this. God tests our heart 
to get to the root cause of our sin. Not just to show us the consequences of our sin, but also get to the root cause of our sin. This is important. You see, because that process you go through, the process they're going through is searching down deep inside. Why were they doing what they did in the first place? Why were they jealous? Why were they prideful? Why did they lash out? Why did they abuse somebody? Why did they create that? Because they had to find out what was down inside of them. And the third thing is this. Ultimately, God wants you to have a change of heart and repent of and a change of ways. You get it? And so, let me give you, maybe fast forward the story. Okay, first off, Joseph looks at them and says, hey, okay, you're lying to me, go in prison. He throws them in prison for three days. Now, he takes care of them. He makes sure they have plenty of food. Matter of fact, one time he brings them out and he feeds them all and like he just gives them heaping amounts of food. You know, sometimes you may feel like you're in prison, but when God has put you in prison, God makes sure that he's gonna have the best people to protect you so that nothing really happens to you while you're there. And then, and then he sends them out. He sends them out. I'm going to fast forward this. He sends, he, he, he sends them out. He says, you're not going to come back. One of you are going to stay in prison until you bring Benjamin back, which Benjamin's the youngest son that he's never met. His younger brother, he still hasn't met. He was born after he was sold off into slavery. Okay, so he sends them back, keeps one in prison. They go back. And they wait till they have no more food. They finally go back to get food and they say, we got to take Benjamin. They take Benjamin with them. And when he meets Benjamin, he's like, wow, that's amazing. He brings out Reuben, who's been thrown in prison, or Simeon, who's bringing him to prison. And now, now they're all together again. He celebrates that. He does still not reveal himself. And then he sends them out. When he sends them out, though, he puts a silver cup in the youngest boy's, Benjamin's sack. It's his personal cup, his chalice he puts in there. Sends them out. After they're gone for a few hours' journey, he sends somebody to chase them down. This sounds mean, doesn't it? But you know what he's doing? He's testing them. He's, te- he's testing their heart and the change of heart. He, the person gets them, he says, somebody stole the, uh, the, the prince's chalice. They said, no, we, we didn't do that. You can search our bags. They start from the oldest all the way down. If we get to the youngest, Benjamin, he finds the chalice. And all of them are grieving now. They're, oh, no, oh, no. Benjamin has to go back to prison. All of them follow him back because they can't go home to Jacob because of what happened to Joseph. And it's just not going to work that way. And so they all go back. And when they get before Joseph, Joseph is angry, like, rah, 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 and he, he's the one set it up. I love this. This is great. And then he's, he's like, oh, you know, why would you do this? And then they start talking among themselves. What they don't know is Joseph understands. Joseph's been using an interpreter, but that's, he doesn't need that because he understands what they're saying. They don't know that. They begin to talk among themselves. They begin to try to figure this. And finally, Judah, who was the ringleader in the beginning to try to kill Joseph and then sell him off into slavery, steps up. You know what he does? Now they're all fighting over Who's going to die in the place of Benjamin? You see the change in their heart? Who They were trying to get rid of somebody years ago. Now they're saying Judah steps up and he says, I want to step into his place. Let me take the responsibility, which is a top of Christ. And at that moment, at the end of chapter 44, is when Joseph says, they get it. They get it. And in chapter 45, he reveals himself. He calls everybody out and then the Bible says that he begins to reveal himself to them. And you, could you imagine when he first reveals himself to them, it says that they were stone silent. They were scared to death. They were thinking, it's over now, folks. It's done. It's over. But you know what he begins to do? He weeps so loudly they could hear him all through the palace. 
as he is restoring and reconciling his relationship with them and says, I forgive you for the wrongs that you have done to me. That's awesome. I love this story. You know what he wanted? His whole process of taking them through that, it wasn't about Joseph. It wasn't tough on his brothers because he didn't love them. He was tough on his brothers because he did love them. He wanted them to learn to weep like him, and Judah finally got it. You realize Jesus wept? Throughout the scripture, it says multiple times that Jesus cried out to God. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he cried out to God with loud cries. He cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cried out once when he looked at the city and he saw the city as the need. He began to weep. One time, when the, the most popular one was when he was with Lazarus' family who's been dead for four days, Lazarus has. And the Bible says, Jesus, what? Wept. John chapter 11 and verse 35. It is the shortest passage in the entire Bible. When the Sunday school teachers, come on, tips for your kids. When the Sunday school teacher says, hey, memorize scripture for this week, you go and memorize first John chapter 11 and 35. Jesus wept. Now the NIV complicated because they added a third word in there. But the King James was awesome. Two words. I thought you'd think it a little bit more funny than that, but... I want to talk to you about spiritual weeping. Spiritual weeping does three things to you. I'm talking about a spiritual weeping, crying out to God. It opens your heart to truth. It opens your soul for healing. And it opens the heavens for answers. Did you get that? A, a true brokenness and a true weeping opens your heart for truth, opens your soul for healing. And opens the heavens for answers. I think if there's one thing we're missing in the church today. Is broken people. Who learn how to weep before God. And say God I'm in need of you. Years back I, used to, I, I started praying this prayer in my own heart. And I still pray it. God break me. Break my wants. My, my desires. My pride. Break all that off of my heart and my life. And the more pieces I'm broken into, God, the more you have to work with to put me back the way you want me. Apply that to your life. So, how do we keep the ice from forming in the first place? If you've been flying, you understand that sometimes the captain will come over and say, hey, we're taking a few moments to de-ice the plane. Now, I wish that we could have like de-icers of your hearts that could be in this place right now, misters, and they just kind of fall in the room. And kind of break your heart or, or like cover you so you don't ice over. It's not going to happen in the physical world. But in the spiritual world, you can apply the same principle. So that your heart is de-iced, protected. Look at verse number 19. These three verses are some of the most crucial verses. Look at verse number 19. Notice what it says here. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I should punish you? Now, now go back to, remember, chapter number 50. Okay, where he has been, you know, just told that your father said this, and that wasn't true. And he responds to them, but Joseph responds, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I should punish you? Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for all good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Verse 21. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking what? Kindly to them. Did you get this? 
Joseph's statements here is probably the zenith of Old Testament and New Testament spiritual maturity. If you will apply these three verses, it can change your life. I guarantee you it can change your life. Because you know what it does? In verse number 19, it speaks to this. I'm going to allow God to right all the wrongs in my life. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. That is a powerful principle. And number two, it speaks to this, is that can I see God's hand in the middle of man's evil? And then number three is that I'm going to repay evil with forgiveness and not just forgiveness, but with practical kindness in people's lives. Now let's break that down. Let's go to verse number 19. Let's look at it. Verse number 19 is first this, avoid God's position over people. You gotta avoid God's position over people. Did you hear what he said? He said, am I God? Can I punish you? You see, these are leaving the, the righting of wrongs to God, which requires humility. It's saying and realizing that as a sinner saved by grace, I'm not more superior than other people. It's realizing that who am I to have all the knowledge to know how somebody needs to be punished? Who has the right and the authority and the power to give people what they deserve? And here's what you gotta realize. You gotta realize and understand that I am incredibly underqualified to play God in somebody's life. It's above my pay grade. I, I was thinking about when I go to the mountains and I love to go to uh, Colorado and climb mountains in the summer. Um, the winter's a little difficult to do that. Uh, but in the summertime, some of you got that and some of you didn't. So climbing the summertime, I love the, 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 the grind, the struggle, the backpack on, the and just sweating and, and, and the clawing and moving up, the steeper the better and the challenge of that. I, I, I love doing that. And I love when I get to the top and get to the top and I look down and you see where you've been. And you see the path that you make. Because when you're in the smack dab middle of it, you can't. All you can do is take the next step and move forward. Sometimes when you're in, come on, the struggle of life, all you can do is take the next step Put your hand forward, put your foot forward by faith and keep moving forward. You don't know how, but there will come a time that you will reach the top. And when you reach the top, you can look down and you can see God's hand and how he directed your life. But if you give up, you'll never get there. You keep pushing forward. And let me just say something also. In the process of going to the top, if it's pride that's getting you, because some of people just push through because out of pride. I'm going to pride, pride. You may reach the top, but your top will be short-lived. And let me say, at your top, you will turn around and use what God meant for good to bring punishment and evil to other people. But see, when you walk in humility, realizing that God is doing this, and who am I, and you climb to the top, and you reach the top, God will then begin to trust you with the opportunities to stir the power and the gifts that he's given to you to begin to bring hope to other people instead of punishment and pain to other people. Somebody say amen to that. The second thing is this, verse number 20. You gotta take God's perspective of people. Did you notice what verse 20 said? It said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought, this to, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. That verse is the Old Testament equivalent to Romans chapter eight and verse number 28. 
And if you don't know that verse, go back and figure it out, okay? But it's the Old Testament equivalent. You meant it for harm, but God meant it for what? He meant it for good. He's gonna turn this around. That is so key to note in this process. You gotta see God's hand in the malice of man, which requires confidence, trust in God, that he has this. Life is hard, isn't it? But life is good, isn't it? Which is true, both and. Because we know that there is evil in this world, but there is a God who has overcome evil. Jesus said it this way, in this world you will have trouble and tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome what? The world. I've overcome the world. Jesus had a cup of suffering. And even on the cross when he is dying, hanging between heaven and earth, you know what he says? He says, Father, forgive them for what? He takes God's perspective. Look at chapter 45. Notice this. Joseph has just revealed himself to them. And after he reveals himself to his brothers and he is weeping, okay, they are freaking out. And here's what he says. He said, don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here. Let that sink in ahead of you to preserve your lives. Now stop there for just a moment. Joseph, it wasn't God. It was your brothers that threw you in the pit. It was your brothers that stripped you of the robe. It was your brothers that sold you into slavery. It was your brothers that created all the future pain in your life. It was your brothers. Come on, Joseph, can't you see what we see? Unless you're looking through the eyes of faith and taking on God's perspective. And then you see even the evil of man and the malice of man, how God can take it and turn it for something great. Mm. So good. This famine has ravaged the land for two years. Will last for five more. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you. Did you get that again? to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph, are you stable? Come on, what would you have done if you'd been in that place? You know what some of you would have done? Off with their heads. Let, let's, or, or maybe slow punishment for years on end. Notice how he continues on. And he is the one. Who is the one? God is the one who made me the advisor to Pharaoh. No, I thought Pharaoh was Moses. I mean, Joseph. I thought Pharaoh put you in that position. No, no, no. He knows that God put him in that position. The manager of this entire palace and the governor of Egypt. What do I get from this? Let me give you three things I get from this. One is this. God sent me. And if you will take that approach to life, it can change the game for everything you do in life. When you go to work tomorrow, if you realize God sent me here, you will walk in with your shoulders back, your head up, not in a pride, but you will be on a mission to do something great for the kingdom of God. You may have junk that you have to deal with. You may, you, when you go back to home, you realize God sent me into this home. You may have a difficult situation with a spouse. You may have some things going on that's not to your favor. Your finances may be tough, but when you begin to walk with your shoulders squared back that God sent me here, you will know that you've got all of heaven back in you. And when all of heaven's back in you, it's gonna be okay because hell can bring its best shot at you, but God has sent you. And when God has sent you, he will make sure you have exactly what you need to win the battles you need in life. 
Another thing I get out of this is everything happens to me for the saving of many lives. He said, the reason why I went through this is to save many people. This is huge. If you will start looking at that and realizing, I just went through hell on earth, but you know what? Out of that, there's gonna become many people know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'm gonna help many people. I went through a, a, a horrible divorce. I went through a horrible situation. I've just been set free from drugs and alcohol and I've went through this and I've went through that or this relationship and I lost that job and lost all of my finances. But some way, somehow, I'm gonna keep clawing and scratching with the confidence in Jesus Christ and I'm gonna reach the pinnacle again. And when I do, I'm gonna turn around and realize that God got me here and God can get you there too. And finally is this, is that I have a problem, but the reality is my problems are God's opportunity to show off through me. You get that? That my problem is God's opportunity to do something great, and he did that. The last one is this. Look at this in your notes. Reflect God's passion for people. Verse number 20, 21. He says, no, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them reflect God's passion for people. Somebody told me several years ago, this is so, so important. I heard this said and I kind of stuck with it. It said, You know, it's a scary thing to have a growing ministry and a shrinking passion for Jesus. Let me just apply this to your lives. It's scary to have a growing life, a growing business, a growing bank account, a growing home, a growing family and have a shrinking passion for Jesus. Don't do it. Don't let yourself go there. Because it's not worth gathering. What should a man profit if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? The biggest takeaway I take from Joseph's life is probably this. Mercy will mess people up. Look at the person next to you and say, mercy will mess people up. This means you've got to respond to people's wrongs with forgiveness and practical kindness. That's love. Love. They had dug a pit. A pit. That Joseph could have, you ever heard the statement that you made your own bed, what? You got to lie in it? They had dug their own pit. So now, wouldn't you think they should be thrown in the pit? But he doesn't. Forgiveness is not holding a grudge. And it's not thinking they owe me something. They can never pay you back. Hear me, folks. They can never restore. I don't care what it is. They can come back, whoever they is, can come back and apologize and say all the white words, admit every single detail they did wrong to you, but they still can't restore this before it happened. They can't, they can't bring all of that back. They can pay you back, but they cannot pay you back what's really owed to you. It just can't happen. And Joseph teaches what forgiveness is about. You see, Joseph could never have risen to the position of prince if he had been poisoned by bitterness. Bitterness will kill you, folks. If you're having trouble forgiving, you've forgotten that you have been forgiven. And you think, oh, that was Joseph, this is me. You know what? Joseph had less, less, less props for being able to do that than you have. You know why? Because he hadn't had Jesus' example yet. He hadn't had the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, right? Come on, and he gave us that example in the Old Testament. How much more should we, as the children of God who have the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to walk in that ability to forgive? 
This is good. So good. So I was thinking this past week, I was thinking this past week with people going around breaking ice for their cattle in Iowa, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, going around breaking ice. I was thinking today, today at North is going to be a weekend of breaking ice. Of people breaking ice. And you know how you break the ice? You know how you get to that point where you break? It's through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Come on, it's through the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Say it with me. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Come on, we need the ice broken. Ice broken off of our hearts and lives. Father, now by the power of your Holy Spirit, eyes closed, please. Do your thing. Break. Please, no one looking around. At every location, I believe that the pick of God's word, the pick of the Holy Spirit, and even the people of God that will pray over your life is going to begin to break the cold parts of your life. It's not worth it. Allow God to break you right now. Holy Spirit, do your thing. And God, if there's anyone that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we shall be saved. Right now, that response to Christ saying, God, I surrender to you. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. God, Holy Spirit, do your thing. We thank you for the word of God that's went forth. Now change lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the North Church Podcast. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered by the Word of God. For more information about North Church, check out our website at north.church. There you can view more messages and join us for experiences live online. You can also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week and remember to love God, love people, and follow Jesus.